Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your co-host, Peter Go, alongside co-host David Go. Excited to be back with you again. Uh, I know it's been a little bit less frequent, our episodes, but with the offseason, as dry as it was, we felt really just made sense. But things have really picked up over the last week or two. Uh, big news to cover across the league. Unfortunately, a couple uh, former Brewers Hall of Famers also passing away. So just comm- commemorating uh, those players and their impact on the Brewers baseball and really sports in general. Uh, anything that you want to share, David, before we jump into things today? Yeah, I was just looking at the calendar, and of course, February 1st, uh, today we're releasing the podcast. Spring training is coming up quickly, at least we think it is. Um, there were recent reports from Jeff Passan that the Union and uh, MLB are considering starting the season late, starting around April 28th, I think was the date that they threw up, 154-game slate, World Series ending in mid-November. So that's a possibility. The thing is, players are supposed to report to spring training in like seven to ten days. And a lot of them, I mean, if they're already going there, then if you delay spring training, then of course they have to go back. It's a hassle. Players probably don't want that. And a lot of the other sports are going on right now. Of course, NFL has made it through the whole season. We've got the Super Bowl coming up. NBA has also been overall pretty successful, even some college athletics. So baseball, they can do it. Uh, We will see if they are able to get the season going right away. April 1st right now, though is scheduled to be opening day with spring training starting soon. Yeah, especially with how long spring training is and a lot of the, especially vets complaining about spring training being too long as it is, if they were to push the season back longer, that would just make either spring training longer or just kind of an awkward break in there. Um, So yeah, I I think, like you said, they need to sort of make a decision. They seem to be a little bit slower than some of the other sports at getting some certainty around this, uh, which was more so the case in 2020 made sense um there were a lot more unknown at this point i think nfl ml uh, excuse me nfl nba and other sports in general even college you mentioned seem to be doing a little bit better job being more decisive up front just to give people better expectations and i think they need to make a decision before spring training starts and really if at least a few days before so hopefully they do so in the next week mm-hmm. and we don't even know if there's going to be a universal dh yet of course that's been the looming off-season question but NL teams need to know how to uh, plan their roster, and we don't know if they're going to be expanded playoffs either. So there are a number of major rule changes that have yet to be determined. Yeah, if I'm a if I'm an NLGM or frankly just working the the front office, I would be frustrated by that because if you don't know the rules of the game, it, it's kind of hard to <laughs> determine how to win them when you don't know all the rules to the game. So I think that's unfair that they're putting NL teams through this. It should have been decisions should have been made, in my opinion, just about right after the season ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay if you want to wait a couple weeks or whatever but to me it's ridiculous that it's drawn out this long and there's just no reason for it and i think it puts nl teams at a disadvantage yeah already going into the year we will see i personally i think that it will actually be passed for 2021 but definitely not certain on that by any means more of just kind of a guess that i'm throwing out but today actually for the trivia question um, I'll be asking the trivia question again, and we're just going to have the answer right away uh, towards the beginning of the podcast uh, because it ties in a little bit with the end of it, so I might give it away. But today's question is, who is the only pitcher to record his 3,000th strikeout as a member of the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Only 18 players in Major League history 
to have over 3,000 strikeouts. And in lieu of the recent news, I'm going to go with uh, Don Sutton. Yeah, Don Sutton recorded his 3,000 strikeout back in 1984. He was with the Brewers at the time. CC Sabathia, the only other Brewer at any point who's recorded 3,000 strikeouts. I actually forgot until uh, we were looking at who the members of the 3,000 strikeout club are. And he recorded just over 3,000 strikeouts. His 3,000th came just a few years ago as a member of the Yankees. Uh, but a very good career for Sabathia. And I, I actually forgot about that feat that he accomplished. Yeah, very impressive that Sabathia is there. Again, only 18 players, 18 pitchers in Major League history, and only three left-handers. Randy Johnson uh, with, with over 4,800 strikeouts, followed by Steve Carlton, and then CeCe Sabathia. Uh, definitely would not have guessed CeCe to be the, the third highest in career strikeouts of a left-handed pitcher in Major League history. An impressive feat uh, from CeCe. Uh, but yeah, Don Sutton, over 3,000 strikeouts. Unfortunately, uh, lost him in the last couple of weeks. Another unfortunate news coming around, another Brewers Hall of Famer passing, uh, as I'm sure all of you have heard at this point, uh, Brewers legend Hank Aaron passing away. Also a Hall of Famer, 25-time All-Star, which is outstanding. 20 straight years uh, of 20-plus home runs, and one of the greatest players in Major League history, um, and had tremendous impact both on and off the field for baseball and all of sports. So Brewers at Major League Baseball and the rest of the world losing one of the best uh, to do it. Hank Aaron, uh, again, passing away over the last couple of weeks. Uh, any thoughts on, on just the impact Hank Aaron had as a player and off the field? Yeah. I mean, one of the most impactful players on the field, of course, but even a better man considered to be off the field. Of course, I never met Hank Aaron, but pretty much anyone that met Hank Aaron, that knew Hank Aaron, said that he was really the definition of grace and class. And uh, he was he was just a great man. Uh, but looking more towards his achievements on the field, uh, just for now, as we, as we look a little bit back on his career, he actually began his career in 1952 with the Negro League Indianapolis Clowns. Uh, so he was one of the later Negro Leaguers uh, to keep still be playing. I mean, he retired in 1976, which is about 16 years after the Negro Leagues folded. I was trying to connect uh, to see how, how few players we could go back on like a current active player um, to trace back. I know they say like six degrees of mantle. Um, I know there, there are more things like that, but Daniel Murphy, who actually just retired, hmm. played with Gary Sheffield, who played with Robin Yount, who played with Hank Aaron, hmm. who played in the Negro League. So only four players to get back that far. I always find those interesting. I know some people think that those are kind of, uh, kind of silly, uh, but he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1982. And that was kind of the capstone of his outstanding career. And from a from a, a major league standpoint, he actually began his minor league career in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That was his first minor league stop, um, the uh, the bustling metropolis of Eau Claire. Um, if, if you guys are familiar <laughs> with the cities in Wisconsin, one of his first achievements, I would say, came in 1957. He won MVP that year. Braves won the World Series. Uh, the only Milwaukee baseball team to win a World Series. Um, that came in 57. Of course, Brewers have never won, and the Braves lost actually the following year too in the World Series. But he hit a walk-off home run towards the end of the year in 57, and that clinched the pennant for them. Uh, no famous, the Braves win the pennant call, unfortunately, but Bud Selig was actually at the game, and I heard him talking, fondly remembering that, uh, and what a scene it was uh, that Hank Aaron had walked off. Um, Got to think that it's somewhat similar to Ryan Braun's 2008 wild card home run, but a much bigger magnitude. Of course, there were no divisions at the time, and the best record won the pennant. Uh, so a huge moment there. 
Um, like you said, 25-time All-Star. Also won three gold gloves. He's a pretty good fielder in right field. Two-time batting champion. He was not just a home run hitter. Uh, that's something that is, uh, that is, I would say, pretty clear when you look at his stats. But he also is third all-time in hits. Uh, that's something that I think gets overlooked. If you took away all his home runs, he still has 3,000 hits. Yeah. Um, he's only behind Pete Rose and Ty Cobb, who are noted contact hitters. Decent hitters. Yeah. Yeah. But they were, and of course, they were great hitters. But right. Singles hitters. First all-time in RBIs. Albert Pujols uh, might give him a run at that. We'll see. Fifth all-time in runs scored. I mean, you can go on and on. Even yeah. First all-time in total bases. Uh, and maybe, maybe the greatest hitter of all time. Might might say Ted Williams is better, Babe Ruth. Uh, but you can make the case. You yeah, the you case. can make the case. And, and, of course, Aaron, like you said, he was more so known for his home runs because he was the home run leader for a while with 755. Uh, but like you mentioned, he, he was not the, the, the power hitter that we think of today, uh, the, the home runs and strikeouts kind of hitter. He was an all-around hitter, like you said. Choose your stat, and, and he's in the, he's he's a leader in, in Major League history, which is just outstanding in its, of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best to ever do it. And I think also one of the most telling stats, 20-plus home runs in 20 straight years uh, between his age, I think, 21 and 40 seasons. So that is incredible to me. And he never struck out more than 100 times in a season. A lot of the time, good power hitters, a lot of home runs. You have a yep. lot of strikeouts. And, of course, the most famous of his home runs was his 715 that broke Babe Ruth's record. Uh, one of the f- most famous broadcasting calls, actually. So we are just going to play it real quick uh, for you guys. E- of course, you can't see the video, uh, but just the audio. Sitting on 714. Yeah, that's an iconic call. There's a new home run champion. His name's Henry Aaron. Definitely one of the more iconic lines uh, in baseball history. Who, who was the one calling that game or that uh, that play? That was Milo Hamilton. Not as much of a well-known broadcaster. Ben Scully was actually doing the national call for that. Huh. And he was the one who had the call that said, what a great moment for Henry Aaron. What a great moment for the Atlanta Braves. What a great moment for the state of Georgia and for the country. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking one of the all-time baseball records. So that was a great call also. I think the Milo Hamilton one is a little bit more renowned, mm-hmm. but both great calls. Um, and actually, his 714th home run, which tied Babe Ruth a few days before, uh, Marty Brenneman of the Reds, who actually just retired recently, that was his first game. Wow. Uh, they were playing the Reds at the time, and that was his first game ever that he broadcast. So. Uh, some interesting just ties related to Hank Aaron and his most famous home runs. I always wonder what those those milestones, those types of Robin Young's 3,000th hit, those types of calls. I always wonder if the broadcasters like plan out what they're going to say. Uh, or Joe Buck uh, with his yeah. famous, we will see you again. Yeah. Um, those sorts of things. I wonder how much they plan that out or if they just let the emotions go yeah. and, and, and figure it out on the fly. Yeah. My, the ones I don't like are when they come up with stats. Like... I understand if you say, like, for the first time in franchise history, right. the Washington Nationals win a World Series. But I remember one time recently, it was, like, for the third time since 2004, they've 
clinched the ALDS. Like, yeah, yeah. Those are the ones that I don't like. Um, and I think they do prepare to an extent, uh, but they also try really hard to make it natural. Right, right. Uh, and I think that's one thing you see from the best broadcasters. Uh, but you, you could always just go with Brewers win. Yeah. Brewers win. Who, who was that? Joe Block. Joe Block, that's right. Yeah, he's gotten better <laughs> in Pittsburgh now. Um, yeah, not one of, not one of the... Uh, Especially when he was new. Yeah. To the Brewers, yeah. at least, I should say. I'm sure yeah. he wasn't new, but to the Brewers, at least. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, great call there from, from Hank Aaron's 715th home run. And am I correct in that's the one, the video with the, the guys running onto the field mm-hmm. and greeting him? Those were friends of his? No, he actually didn't know that. He didn't, he okay. He was worried because at the time he had been receiving death threats wow. uh, from fans because they didn't want him to yeah. break Babe Ruth's record, primarily because he was black. Right. And playing in Georgia didn't help, of course. Uh, so he was a, a little bit worried, and then when they started uh, like patting him on the back yeah. and were happy with him, he was relaxed a little bit. Um, and of course, nothing ended up happening, thankfully. But yeah, he received death threats. He said that he was miserable during the time when he was in the middle wow. of breaking the record, which is really unfortunate. It because, is. Um, that shouldn't be the case. I yeah. mean, it should be something that's celebrated. It, it was celebrated at the time and eventually, but a lot of people hated him for it. And it, it is a sad thing to see. Absolutely. And, yeah, just, again, speaks volumes to Hank Aaron as a player and as a person and, and what he did with the sport. And I, I do actually want to go back. I know we covered Don Sutton already, but before the podcast, you were briefly telling me a story about uh, Sutton in 82 and the Brewers uh, clinching that division. Uh, I thought it was an interesting story and, and one that would be worth sharing on the podcast. So I apologize mm-hmm. to flip back to Sutton, but I don't want to continue to move on before uh, you share that story. Could, do you mind sharing that story mm-hmm. from Sutton in 82? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just for a little bit of context, of course the big trade that set the 82 team together was uh, the trade with the Cardinals in 1980 that brought over Simmons and Vukovic and Fingers. But in August of 82, the Brewers brought over Sutton from the Astros, traded Kevin Bass among a couple others, and Sutton was basically a, a veteran at that point and a rotation stabilizer. A big game in a big game you might turn to Sutton he'd been already around for I think 15 16 years and they were heading into the last series of the year in 82 with the Orioles up three games against them for the AL East title at the time only two teams made the playoffs so you win the division you're in you don't win the division you're out Brewers need to win one out of four games with the Orioles well they lose the first three so they set up a winner take all game four 162nd game of the year Don Sutton, Jim Palmer. Both were past their primes, but both huge games uh, for each of the pitchers. And Sutton wakes up that morning. Uh, it's a Sunday, and he is extremely ill. He's not sure if he's going to be able to make his start. But of course, being such an important game, he tries really hard. So he comes early, uh, tries to see if he can if, make, it, make it better even, uh, and goes to the training room. The Orioles give him a shot to try to make it better, and he has an allergic reaction to it. He's barely hanging on. I'm pretty sure he took a nap before the game because he was uh, not feeling well. But they went over reports. Ted Simmons didn't even know that he wasn't feeling well. He gutted through it, gutted through eight innings. I think he only allowed one run. Brewers offense came through uh, and Sutton got the win. The Brewers won, I think it was 10 to one, of course, setting them up for that historic 82 run where they fell just short of a World Series championship, but might not have gotten there without Don Sutton and his um, his his great performance in a in a little bit of unique circumstances at the end of that eighty two regular season. Yeah, it's a huge start. I mean, nowadays, of course, eight innings very more uh, very less common than it was back then. But still, for a pitcher to to take the ball even in good health and go eight innings strong against a good team to to seal the season off like that is impressive. But to do so while being sick and going eight eight innings, my thing is. 
uh, if the Brewers were up that big, why they why they have well, Sutton go stuffer through eight to innings? Be fair, I, I think that they uh, they scored five runs in the top of the eighth. Okay, so they sent him back out for one more. I think I don't really know why they're up six to one. Game's not over, but sure. I was a little bit surprised too. Maybe their bullpen was, was worn down there. Yeah, four man bullpen. All right, I was gonna say I was gonna say they probably yeah. couldn't call yeah. Hader or Williams yeah. to come Pete in. Bugovich comes in on one day rest <laughs> with a torn rotator. <laughs> Um, Arms just hanging off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's good. He's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Sutton with one of the biggest starts in Brewers history. Uh, he also was a, a major factor. I think he won Game Three of the ALCS facing elimination. That was against the Angels. Didn't have much success in the World Series in '82 uh, um, against the uh, against the Cardinals. But he was part of the reason why they got there. Yeah, and speaking of durability and uh, dangling arms off from pitching so much, Sutton did not miss a start from 1966 to 1987 either. So for over 20 years, uh, Sutton didn't miss a start, which... That's one yeah, of the most remarkable yeah. feats. I, I mean, Ripken's, of course, record, of course, is longer, but he also did it as a position player. Mm-hmm. To not miss a start for over 20 years is just absolutely unheard of, and uh-huh. yeah, speaks yeah. volumes to Sutton's yeah. career. Well, and I think, and you see that reflected, he's third most innings pitched of all time. Uh, 5,282. I think only about 12 to 15 pitchers have 5,000 innings pitched in their career. Greg Maddox was the most recent one to do it. I doubt we'll ever see that happen again, or at least with the way the game is going. And partly as a result, but he's seventh all-time in strikeouts. He's a pretty good strikeout pitcher, 3,574. Of course, we did mention that he had over 3,000 strikeouts at the beginning of the podcast. 324 wins also, which is tied for Fourteenth uh, all time. Yeah, Sutton has more strikeouts uh, than than Warren Spahn does. Some other great names, Cy Young. He has more strikeouts than Cy Young. Again, I know a different era, but Cy Young uh, obviously has more innings pitched than Sutton. Nonetheless, just to continue to echo Don Sutton Hall of Fame career, and unfortunate uh, for him to pass in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks as well. In, in smaller Brewers news, uh, Brewers did actually put up their new signage at formerly known Miller Park. Uh, now known as American Family Field, uh, but they did update their signs, uh, posting that all over their social media. Uh, so it is pretty much official. And if we do have fans going to stadium at some point this year, which definitely hoping that we do, uh, we will be seeing that as well. I don't know, nothing too much to talk about there. Any any thoughts on that? No, I mean of course most people aren't happy about it. I'm not exactly happy about it. American Family Field doesn't have the same ring to it as Miller Park does, but. One thing that people have mentioned is maybe naming it like Hank Aaron Field at Miller Park doesn't work as well with uh, Hank Aaron Field at American Family Field. Um, we were talking about maybe maybe put like Hank Aaron right field at American <laughs> Family Field. Um, Raleigh at, Fingers pitching mound. Yeah, at, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I love honoring Raleigh Fingers. Um, who, I mean, yeah, he did win a Cy Young and an MVP with the Brewers, but only a couple of years that he spent there. Um, and I, I brought up that I was pretty sure they had Jenkins Jungle in uh, in right field back in like 2006, 2007. Yeah, if, if Jenkins can get a part of the field named after him, then uh, certainly I think we can do the same for Hank Aaron. Yeah, I think that was, I yeah, right. Agree, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it was because Jenkins was a lefty. And uh, yeah, Jenkins Jungle. I do I do vaguely remember that. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I guess Jenkins was kind of the best player on the team at the time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But I, I would be curious to see if they do something more for Hank Aaron. They are going to wear uniform patches to uh, honor him in light of his death. And I I actually think that they should do the same for Don Sutton. I'm not exactly sure how that would work. But teams could put two uniform patches sure, on. For sure. Uh, I think I think that that would be uh, something they could do. Especially with, they only have seven Hall of Fame members that have been Brewers at some point, And two of them passed away. I mean, in the same week. But yeah. same offseason, 
I think that if Sutton would have, would have passed at a different time, they would have honored him. I think that it would be right to do so. Yeah, and certainly uh, also pitching in the 82 era, bigger impact on the Brewers franchise as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. But either way, again, uh, Brewers and the, and the world losing two Hall of Famers in Hank Aaron and Don Sutton uh, over the last couple of weeks. So switching gears over to Major League News, uh, excited to cover this because there's a lot going on for once, finally, um, before we were covering... Uh, Jace Peterson signings and uh, talking like twenty minutes. Ago. <laughs> Guy who probably won't even play in the major leagues. Yeah, but Cardinals really uh, making a big move, unfortunately for the Brewers, bringing in one of the best, if not the best, third baseman in baseball from the Rockies, Nolan Arenado, in a big deal uh, where the Cardinals sent over uh, some assets from the farm system, some, some, some just level, yeah, prospects. some for uh, Arenado, and I believe the Rockies sent along about fifty million, right? Mm-hmm. I think that will depend on whether or not, whether or not he opts out also, though, uh, because he does have an opt-out after this year and next year, and it seems like he's going to keep the opt-outs. Uh, so he, he When you does, say keep keep the opt-outs in that he's going to opt-out or he's not going he to opt-out? He has the option. He would still will retain the option to sure. opt-out oh, got it, got it. after either this season or next season. It seemed likely that he was going to opt-out from his Rockies contract with the Rockies. Interesting. But now that he's with the Cardinals, it might change a little bit. Players like playing in St. Louis in general, which is really unfortunate for the Brewers. <laughs> uh, Arenado, yeah. I think, has a round in 1,000 OPS against the Brewers in yeah. his career. Similar to Goldschmidt, who, of course, the Cardinals acquired two yeah, a couple that's years right. ago. Uh, but, uh, of course, a big, big trade. Arenado going to the Cardinals. They also re-signed Wainwright, and they probably are going to re-sign Molina. He's playing the Caribbean Series right now, uh, so he, he'll probably sign after after that. Molina wasn't really getting the offers he wanted from the Cardinals, but it seems like it's too natural of a fit. The Cardinals probably realized franchise icon, we should yeah. pay him what he's worth. So the Cardinals now look like they're probably the best team in the division. Pirates traded Joe Musgrove and Jamison Tyone, uh, one to the Padres, one to the Yankees. Not like the Pirates were going to be the best team right. in the division either way. They're not going to contend, uh, but the Pirates get even weaker. Looks like Cardinals, I would say. Seems to be projected 85, 86 wins probably now. Yeah. Brewers, Reds, Cubs, all between that 76 to 80 range. We'll see if the Brewers add going forward. Yeah. I think there's no question Cardinals are now the favorites in the Central. Nolan Arenado, I still think he is underrated overall. Uh, not that nobody knows about him, but since he's entered the league, he's been the best third baseman in baseball. At least that's my opinion. I don't know if you have. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say the same. I would say Anthony Rendon is probably better third baseman right now uh, he would be the one off the top of my head Arenado had a bad year this past year um, it's hard to to know how to assess right. that um, but yeah yeah, yeah. Rendon it seems like there's a good crop of third basemen oh, yeah. I mean Chris Bryan obviously yeah. came up similar time frame Redman, as Arenado Matt Chapman yeah Chapman uh, yeah Jose Ramirez who yeah um, the Indians apparently made him available we'll, we'll cover that in a little bit um, but the one the one saving grace about the Cardinals move is Bob Nightingale tweeted, which is always a, an interesting start to a sentence. Bob Nightingale tweeted that the Cardinals are going for the jugular, <laughs> which is good uh, word choice. I remember last year he said the Rangers were going for the gusto. Whatever so, that means. The gusto was obtained yeah, by, the, by the Rangers yeah, last after year. after they finished last in the NL West. Yes, um, yes. But he said that the Cardinals' champagne is now sitting on ice for the NL Central. And there is a, a widely known Bob Jinx 
meaning that when Bob Nightingale says something, it doesn't come true. <laughs> uh, meaning that the Cardinals there we go. odds probably went down. I'm pretty sure fan graphs yeah. actually accounted for that. Yeah, definitely. It's about a 10% difference with the Bob Jinx. Absolutely. Um, but that is the, sa- the saving grace <laughs> of this uh, Arenado trade. Do you think that uh, this also locks up the Cardinals financially? Again, assuming that Arenado doesn't opt out, is there... Do you see that as uh, being some 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 bit of a restriction on the Cardinals going forward? I do. I, it's about thirty million a year that they're going to be paying Arenado, assuming he stays after this year. So, I mean, of course, it's thirty million is a, a pretty hefty sum for one player. And how many years does he have left if he were to stay? Um, I think about seven. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's quite a few. Unfortunately, the Brewers might be seeing him for a long time. Um, Possible future Hall of Famer. We'll see yeah. how he adjusts away from Coors. DJ LeMahieu, the most recent success to adjust away from Coors Field. I do think he will end and retire as a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think he's he set himself up at, at a good point at this, and, and like you said, I, it almost could help his odds getting into the Hall of Fame, leaving Coors, assuming he can still have similar offensive production. Because as we've talked about, and, and everybody knows the the Coors Field effect, and the debate over how big of an effect that has or should have on especially two guys, Larry Walker and Todd Helton, who are uh, sort of in that borderline Hall of Fame, uh, as some people think of them. So that's really the biggest news in baseball. You also mentioned Joe Musgrove going to the Padres, which just strengthens an already really good roster and outstanding starting pitching rotation uh, with Lamette, you Darvish, Blake Snell. Is that the top rotation in the major leagues now? I think so, yeah. They have... Five good options with a lot of depth. Yeah. Good young prospects coming up. Their rotation is outstanding. Um, and in addition to that, also, Daniel Murphy retired. Probably best known for his 2015 run in the NLCS with the Mets. Hit like a home run in like six straight games. Oh, that's right. Um, and also looked horrible against Josh Hader. That's what I thought you were going to say when you were best known. Because that's, that's was, the first thought I have when I think Daniel I was, Murphy. I was debating <laughs> which one. I was like, I don't know if he's better known for that or for the... Five home runs in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he looked horrible that at bat. That was the uh, the ninth inning of that game 163, which I think was the turning point. That's right. Throwing the Cubs, that was a big event. Yeah, um, yeah, that that was, that was a exciting time. That's a good memory of my life. Yes, that was a good memory right there. <laughs> yeah. That Daniel Murphy at bat was probably one of the most satisfying uh-huh. at bats I've ever uh-huh. seen. <laughs> yeah, and then also Eddie Rosario signed with the the Indians, and that's not really that noteworthy. But the Brewers had expressed interest in him. They wanted him to play first base, though. Not very good in the outfield. Could have worked at first base. Not sure. He's got good power. Not very good walk rates. Um, Indians ended up getting him for one year, eight million. Overall, not not too disappointed about that. Yeah, another uh, kind of mid-level signing. Jock Peterson going to the Cubs. We were just mentioning the Cubs. Uh, where do you see Peterson fitting in there with the Cubs? Um, he'll probably take Kyle Schwarber's spot. Fits in really nicely. I think he's basically like a pretty good defender version of. of that's Kyle that's exactly Schwarber. what I was gonna say. Schwarber got ten million, and Peterson got seven. Interesting. Eaton got eight. All corner outfielders. To me, Peterson's probably the best. Yeah. Understand if yeah. you want Eaton, maybe you value a skill set a little more. Sure. Not sure why Schwarber got got uh, ten million. Um, and then, probably one of the biggest uh, pieces of news that we haven't covered yet was the Hall of Fame ballot. A shutout. Nobody was elected into the Hall of Fame for the 2021 cycle. No veterans committee met either. So there will be no new inductees. They're going to induct last year's class at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown this July. So Jeter will be there, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, former Brewer, and Marvin Miller, uh, the late Marvin Miller, who was uh, the union head for the MLB Players Association. Yeah, and it has has the Hall of Fame announced whether that you know how that uh, induction will look next year. 
Uh, they're not sure. I mean, it's okay. kind of a, a we'll-see game. I mean, that's, that's how the whole offseason <laughs> has much. been. Um, but Schilling, 71%. His comments certainly haven't helped him lately, especially when he was in support of the capital breach. Yep. Not a good look for him. Bonds and Clemens, still at around 62%. I think they gained two or three voters. They're all three of them entering their last year. Next year. Yeah, yeah. this upcoming yeah. year. Schilling said that he doesn't even want to be on the ballot. We'll see about that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting to see that Schilling uh, posted, I don't know, Facebook, I believe it was, uh, as well, the letter that he sent to the to the Hall of Fame saying that he would like to just be simply removed and, and basically took a jab at all the writers and said, you know, what there's no weight in what they have to say about my career. He actually said he doesn't think that he's a Hall of Famer um, in the letter, I believe. Um, but nonetheless, he asked to be removed, and the Hall of Fame just simply said that they will consider it um, and get back on that. So we'll see what happens, but probably unlikely that we do see him elected next year, and I think he's a pretty pretty good shot of being elected in the Veterans Committee if he gets the right players and yeah. managers Agreed. in the I committee. Think, I think he will. And he had a Hall of Fame career. Um, say what you will about his uh, off-the-field antics that really almost nobody likes, but... I think he had a Hall of Fame career. Um, and then Scott Rowland saw a big increase in voting. Billy Wagner did also. Rowland at 53% now. Billy Wagner at 46%. Helton, like we were talking about earlier, went up to 45%. Andrew Jones jumped to 34%. So those were some of the, the uh, more major jumps. Rowland looks like he'll probably get in in the next couple of years. Wagner could... Helton also probably will, I think, at some point. Yeah, Roland, Wagner, Helton, all three of those guys, yes or no on, on if you were to give them a vote? I would I would actually vote for all three of them. Um, some of the other borderlines, I would not vote for Vizquel. I would not vote for Sheffield. I would vote for Andrew Jones, um, but I would say no to Jeff Kent, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, uh, Andy Pettit. I'm on the fence about Andy Pettit. Um, and I would vote for Bonds and Clemens. I think they were Hall of Famers outside of their PED use. They never tested positive. They did it before it was enforced. Um, so I think you have to, to weigh that because like somebody like Don Mattingly probably gets in if he uses PEDs and prolongs his career, which he didn't. But if he did, he might be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that you can uh, positively uh, react to Bob right. Clemens' PEDs. Um, but I think they were Hall of Famers outside of that. Yeah, and I don't think I think uh, most people would agree with that that they were both Hall of Famers in their own rights before any of that. It's just unfortunate, of course, that mm -hmm. they muddied that up mm -hmm. um, and turned some people off mm -hmm. to them. And three three former Brewers on the ballot, actually. Gary Sheffield, I mentioned, 40.6%. Yep. He saw a pretty big increase. Uh, he had a very good career. Borderline Hall of Fame candidate. Of course, linked to PEDs also, but 41%. And then Aramis Ramirez got four votes, 1% of the vote. Uh, he had a very good career. I don't think that he was Hall of Fame level. No, I'm actually surprised that he got four. Um, and you you sent me an article, uh, we mentioned Bob Nightingale a lot, on uh, Bob Nightingale voting for LaTroy Hawkins. And he was not the only voter for LaTroy Hawkins. Wow, interesting. So LaTroy Hawkins got two votes. Bob Nightingale basically voted for him kind of symbolically to represent how good of a person he was and what a class act uh, LaTroy Hawkins was. And if that's how he wants to use his ballot, that's fine with him, fine with me. Hawkins, of course, didn't have a Hall of Fame <laughs> career. Uh, I think he had an ERA around four over 22 seasons as a middle reliever. But Hawkins receiving two votes. Former Brewer, uh, he was there in yeah. 2010-2011 time frame. Kind of just a decent reliever for a long time. And yeah, good. Apparently, I mean, I guess it's not as known among the fan base, but apparently just a class act as well. So you mentioned Helton, Wagner, Roland, you'd all vote for. 
who else would you vote for had you had the chance? Um, if, yeah, if I did have a ballot, I would vote for Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, Roland, Wagner, Halton, and Andrew Jones. And then Pettit, I'm not sure. I know I tweeted recently that I would vote for Pettit. I kind of go back and forth about him because I, I think he probably is a Hall of Famer without the use of PEDs. And his was also in the era of Bonds and Clemens. But since he's so close on the border, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's just kind of a toss-up. And he's another guy I could see, right, guys get on the veteran committee. He probably gets in. I'm not sold that he will. I Actually, if I had to guess, I don't think he'll get in traditionally. Um, and I think he has a decent shot when he gets to the veterans committee. Schilling, I think, will get in, in the veterans committee. I think he had too good of a career that there's enough numbers to back it up that people will eventually say, look, this guy. Even though Schilling flat out said... Um, that I don't think I'm a Hall of Famer in his letter. Um, and, has, and he's really asked to just defer to the Veterans Committee. I think he understands it as well um, and doesn't really carry much weight. So I, I see Pettit as a potential Hall of Famer in the Veterans Committee as well. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, some uh, this is either some re reports or just speculation on our part. Uh, Brewers were reported to have interest in Justin Turner. Uh, it seems like that'd be on a one-year deal, maybe around 12 to $14 million. That'd be kind of stretching the Brewers' payroll. But he'd be a great fit, a veteran bat, consistent third baseman in the lineup. I think that that would be an outstanding move. If they did bring him in, I don't know if they'd have the money to uh, be willing to do that. Um, yeah, after after the Cardinals land Arenado, re-sign Wainwright and likely Molina, it's evident that the Cardinals are the favorites. And the Brewers have another year of Christian Yelich. Uh, Lorenzo Cain's getting a year older, not to mention Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, Josh Hader. I mean, the Brewers have a lot of assets that if they don't upgrade this roster, to me, they are at risk of wasting prime years from really, I think, one of the best core groups that they've had in a long, long time. So I would be all in favor of, of spending some money. I understand it's a business and there's that aspect of it. Uh, but at the same time, they, I just, I, I, I've said it over and over, but they need to spend some money. They need to improve uh, or they're at risk for wasting prime years of some of the, one of the best core groups of talent the Brewers have ever had in their franchise history. Yeah. I mean, they have probably the best bullpen they've ever had. Yeah. Hader, Williams, uh, of course, we've gone over their bullpen many times. Woodruff and Burns, two very good starters at the top of the rotation. They've got Yelich, they've got Kane, they've got Hira. Uh, they've got a, a very good core group, like you yeah. said. So hopefully they don't waste it. That's um, yeah, pretty young too, except for Kane. Right, and that's what and that's what sort of bothers me is that they have such a good core group that they're to me they're only a few pieces away from being up there, right up there with the Cardinals. Well, I mean, a good chance. Ago, three years ago, they were the best team in the NL, uh, best record lost in game seven of the nlcs i feel like we kind of forget about that yeah um but they were they were that close to the world series yeah um which is kind of remarkable and um i can I, still picture that in my head of uh yasiel pui running into the dugout and kershaw and the dodgers mm -hmm. uh going crazy on the field that was a tough one to tough oh, one yeah. to swallow we were at that yeah. one yeah. I anyone, i'm sure some of you guys were at that game as well uh -huh. but anyways yeah. yeah and there were reports that hater may be available but the asking price is really steep Rays and Padres are interested. They're interested in everyone. <laughs> I don't really think a deal will happen this offseason. Um, two guys that I, I'm just kind of throwing these out. No no reports or anything that the Brewers are interested in them. But Jose Ramirez apparently is uh, available from the Indians. He's owed $35 million for the next three years, which is a bargain. He's an outstanding player. Uh, one of the best third basemen in major in the majors. We uh, we talked about who might be the best third baseman. Jose Ramirez is definitely up there. Yeah, he's in that top tier, I would say. Yeah. And... and 
if you're going to compare Justin Turner on a similar annual basis, but a one-year deal versus three years of Jose Ramirez locked up for, like you said, a bargain, I mean, that seems like a guy that could fit the Brewers' type of uh, an underpaid uh-huh. uh, star. Yeah, and he had an eight-win season in 2018, according to Fangraphs. was worth 3.4 F war last year, which led the American League. Uh, great year, coming off a good year. The, the, the price is going to be very steep. Would you be willing to trade Corbin Burns in a Jose Ramirez deal? That that's t- definitely a tough one. Um, whew. I think that 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 would be that would be tough for the Brewers, but I think you have to. I I, would, I, I think I would. you do. I think you have to. I don't know that Corbin Burns alone gets the deal done, and that's yeah. the thing. I think that it would take Burns and then maybe a couple mid-level prospects, the Tristan Lutz, the Aaron yeah. Ashby, Antoine Kelly type. Uh, prospects and uh, and by the way, we'll be talking more about prospects next week unless there's some uh, big news. Maybe a Jose Ramirez. That would be nice. I will weeks. I will gladly uh, cover that podcast. Yeah. If, uh, if Jose episode. yeah, I was gonna say yeah. if Jose Ramirez gets traded to the Brewers, we're hopping on a bonus episode right yeah. away. Um, but that's a painful thought to be trading away Corbin Burns. Um, but certainly the stock is high right now on Burns and the Brewers. I mean, just to think about the corner infield for the Brewers is somewhat laughable. Um, and the, the hole to me over on the corner infield is gaping compared to the starting pitching, which would certainly take a hit if they decided to trade Burns. Um, and I would be disappointed on some level, but do I think it puts the Brewers in a better position in 2021? Yes. Do I think it puts the Brewers in a better position in 2022 and 2023? I do. So I, I would be open to that trade, whether or not Stearns and the rest of the front offices, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Oh, so here's a trade proposal. Um, you have to say yes or no. Would you would okay, you make all right. a trade? Um, so the Brewers receive Jose Ramirez, uh, third baseman from the Indians, and then the Brewers trade Corbin Burns, Tristan Lutz, outfielder, Ethan Small, left-handed pitcher, and Aaron Ashby, another left-handed pitcher. Uh, Small is rated number three on their top 30 prospects. First-round pick a couple years ago. Lutz is an, a corner outfield bat. Um, he high A ball in 2019. Uh, power hitter, and then Aaron Ashby is uh, a pretty advanced left-handed pitching arm, probably more of a reliever long-term, uh, but a pretty good arm. You know, I'm, I might give up the Brewers. I might give that up uh, for Ramirez, but with the way the market's been, I almost don't think that the Brewers would have to give all of that up for Ramirez. I, I could be wrong, but the deals we've seen, Arenado, Lindor, Lindor was, I know he's only on a one-year contract, but I think it's likely he resigns with the Mets. It's it's such a uh, a buyer's market right now that I'm not sure the Brewers would have to give all of that up. Uh, do I again? Do I think that puts the Brewers in a better spot to compete in the next three years? I'd have to go with yes. So at the end of the day, I guess I would say I would do that trade. Um, I know that it's not always the popular opinion to necessarily all chips in, but that wouldn't when, necessarily when brewers, you almost have to. right and that wouldn't necessarily be a one-year all chips in either because no. we're not talking about a one-year deal t- short of guy i mean mm-hmm. a three-year deal for ramirez means you have him for again prime years of christian yelich mm-hmm. brandon woodruff mm-hmm. hater williams yeah etc you've, you've got kane for two more years not kane's not their best player anymore but, right uh but still a couple more years uh hater they have for i think three more years woodruff for four uh, Burns for five if they if of course it seems like he would be dealt probably in a deal that brought back Ramirez But it seems like their best window is within the next three four years I think so, it is for sure. So if you say well, what is our goal our goal is to win a World Series in the next three to five years Jose Ramirez can help you accomplish that I Would I would try to of course their asking price will be really high 
Um, maybe we'll include Josh Hader too. Um, if you if you go to Burns and Hader for Ramirez, that's a lot tougher. Yeah, that I think I'm you're starting sure. to push it, and I'm not sure that it does yeah. make the Brewers a better yeah. contender in the yeah. next three years. But again, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to win a World Series. Adding Ramirez, even if we were to lose Burns or a player of that caliber, still they're now projected to be over 500 um, for 2021. And again, they're set up to compete at a high level in the National League. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, one one maybe lower profile option they could go to at first base, Brandon Belt. He's owed 16 million this year from the Giants. Brewers certainly would not be willing to pay that. But if they maybe traded a couple mid level prospects. Um, maybe like a Tristan Lutz. He's only trade rumors. Sorry, Tristan, if you're listening to this episode, yeah. we have nothing against you. Yeah, maybe him or uh, maybe a younger guy, or Corey Ray. Even um, he's his stock is down, but he's an yeah. athletic outfielder would fit well with the Giants. Um, and True. maybe let, ask see if the Giants are willing to take on some of the um, the payroll obligation in return. Belt's coming off a very good 2020 season. Uh, veteran bat would fit well uh, in the Brewers ballpark. Hit some home runs in Jenkins Jungle over yeah. there, and right, you yeah. can change it to belts and bleachers. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, just a thought, uh, just throwing it out. Yeah, it's sixteen million. Uh, with comparing that to a, a Turner twelve million dollar deal, no doubt Turner uh, would be the preferable choice. So I would expect the Dodgers to throw in some money on that. Again, unlikely that the Brewers pull the trigger on on belts, but again, like you said, coming off a great year, who knows? Who knows what the Brewers are doing? And Stearns has shown that he might pull off something kind of out of nowhere, of course, last offseason the whole time we were bashing the Brewers front office for cutting, 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 only to find out that they were saving up to, of course, extend Christian Yelich. So never know what the Brewers front office is up to, and, and generally in front office we trust, in Stearns yeah. we trust. Yeah. And then one other thought I have, uh, I was just thinking about things that the Brewers could do. The Reds are kind of in desperate need of a shortstop. They don't have a shortstop. Um could the Brewers trade Orlando Arcia to the Reds? Maybe make that a three-team deal with the Jose Ramirez trade. <laughs> uh, uh, we're getting crazy on this podcast with the trade ideas, I guess. Um, but, they, yeah, they, they really need a shortstop. Apparently, they're interested in uh, D. Gordon, also known as D. Strange Gordon now. That's his, he changed his name. Uh, okay, name. interesting. Like D. Strange Gordon, um, the last name of his late mother. Oh, got um, it, okay. So it makes sense. But got it. Anyways, they're looking at him possibly as a shortstop. He hasn't played shortstop since he came up with the Dodgers in, like, 2012. Uh, he's like a 260, 300, 340 slash line type hitter. I might, I might try to re-sign Braun, put him out in short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah before I do, uh, before I get D Gordon. But if the Brewers do get a third baseman, put you Rios at short, Trey yeah. Arcia. Yeah, that uh, makes logical get sense. A ton in return, probably. Yeah. Uh, but just a thought uh, that I had: uh, Could the Brewers do that? Maybe. Yeah, if they had a third baseman, uh, odd man out in short at short there, you were yes at Arcia. Similar styles of players. Doesn't exactly make a ton of sense to have them both there. Uh, Arcia not as versatile either, so maybe it makes sense, like you said. Wouldn't be a big haul. Maybe a, a Tristan Lutz type return, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as that's been a recurring theme. But, you know, I, this was definitely the uh, most exciting podcast. I know we're excited to cover uh, Brewers News really every every podcast episode uh but this was except when we're covering jace peter <laughs> maybe okay a little bit less excited for those ones but i i definitely enjoyed the today's podcast i hope you did as well if you do uh feel free to give us five star rating uh we'd love to be able to reach more brewers fans and, and hopefully we'll be able to see you out here uh this year if brewers uh if american family field um is open and we're able to watch some brewers baseball uh, but kind of a lot to sum up here today, uh, but covering the passing of both Hank Aaron and Don Sutton, uh, as well as uh, big Major League Baseball news, Nolan Arenado heading to the Cardinals. 
uh, and looking at some potential options for the Brewers as, as they try to fill those gaps in the corner infield. Um, feel free to tune in again next episode. Uh, we will be resuming next week uh, back on our, our weekly pace, and we'll be covering about uh, the Brewers farm system, digging into Tristan Lutz, among <laughs> others, um, and, and also just as a curious Brewer fan, which current Brewer would make the best manager. So uh, make sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to, and uh, you'll be ready to hear our next episode next week. So any parting thoughts from you, David, before we sign off? Uh, I enjoyed this episode. I thought we had a, a big mix of things, of course, revisiting Hank Aaron, Don Sutton, um, big Brewers icons, I guess, um, and even Milwaukee icons like Hank Aaron, uh, like we talked about. But even going to, uh, we can dream about Jose Ramirez, Justin Turner. Of course, probably won't happen. But interesting to uh, to look about, look at uh, what the Brewers' window is even. Yeah. We haven't really talked about that, but what's the Brewers' window uh, and, and some of the, the thinking that might go behind the moves. Um, We'll see. I mean, Brewers, I would think that they will make some moves before spring training starts. I would hope so. Yeah, they, I, I'm confident that they will. Knowing, knowing now that we've had seen Stearns for a while, I, I just do not see him coming into spring training with a roster this with, with holes this big. Uh, so, as always, we'll see. But anyways, as uh, we wrap up here, again, thanks for listening and tuning in to today's episode. And go Brewers! Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.